0: Scripture is taken from Hebrews 7, verses 11 through 22. Now, perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? When, When there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things have, are spoken belong to another tribe from which there are no other, no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that the Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when another priest, <coughs> excuse me, arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of the indestructible life for it is a witness of him you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek for on one hand a former commandment is set aside because of weakness and uselessness a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God and it is not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made without such an oath but this one was made with a priest with an oath, by the one who said to him, "The Lord has sworn and will never not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant.
1: We'll have a uh, um, couple of amendments to the announcements. Uh, first is uh, next uh, Wednesday, or this coming Wednesday, uh, we will be back here for fourth day program instead of Mount Carmel. So back here uh, Wednesday. Um, and then also um, um, wanted to say congratulations to Weber and Charlotte on the uh, birth of their grandson. Uh, Anna Gray gave birth to um, uh, Charles Harris, we called Huck. So, um, doing well, and uh, we're we're excited. So, congratulations. You probably did not see it, but after Queen Elizabeth's death, uh, there were several um, times that the new king to be Charles. Um, went around taking, um, uh, addressing different bodies, taking different vows that are required of the king. Um, And one of these, because of the early 1700s treaty with Scotland, had to take a vow as king of the United Kingdom to uphold the true Protestant religion of the Presbyterian Church of Scotland including the worship and discipline and Presbyterian form of government. And I got to say, it did my heart good to to see a monarch vowing to uphold that. But as an American, and that might have been more American than I meant it to be, but as an American, that was weird, isn't that really strange? And I got to say, in my studies of history, one of the stranger things for me to get my head around has been uh, the way in other countries, things in the church took place because of what the government decided. And the government, kind of like the the vow that King Charles had to take, um, had certain obligations and duties to the church. The situation with the Church of England and Church of Scotland is part of the Constitution of the United Kingdom. That is part of who they are as a country, and it's part of their law and the Constitution going back from a treaty of union. We have a Constitution that says there will be no established church. And so, for us, we're very much used to the idea that, um, well, you, you can't have prayer in school. You, you can't have, um, you know, you have to be very careful as, um, you know, we have signs we put out saying you can't campaign on our property during election year because um, this is a nonprofit. As a church, we would uh, have trouble uh, if we were interfering in politics. And so there's this distinction that we have that help, hurts us to try to understand what's going on in this passage in Hebrews. In the passage in Hebrews, he's talking about, the covenant, in a sense, the the constitution of the nation of Israel, in in a sense, the, the contract God had with his people. And the way that that legal situation was, was that not only had God given direction of how the king was to be set up and God gave direction of where the temple would be and God gave directions about uh, legal codes for murder and theft and how those would be punished and setting up sanctuary cities. You might be aware of those kind of things that we would think of would be civil code and would have tax and property rights and all these sorts of things. That same law also established a priesthood how sacrifices are supposed to be made, how people would worship when they would pray. In other words, it it was as much a part of the constitution of the nation of Israel of who the priesthood would be as it was how you would deal with property transfers and how elders would judge disputes among neighbors. And so the point he is making is that When a new priesthood arises, that signals a complete constitutional change. There is a total change in the covenant God has made with his people um, that is part of this because Jesus has come to us as a priest, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, of which the law of Moses has nothing to say. And as the priest of Melchizedek, he's not following the, the priest that the Leviticus talks about, the priesthood of Aaron. And so the whole point leads to verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. We have a better covenant. We have a superior covenant. The constitution of our relationship with God and Jesus Christ is better than it was under the Mosaic covenant. The, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. And all of those things, the whole application is, therefore, hold to him. Why would you go anywhere else if he's the best? And here we see, not only do we have a better uh, mediator in Jesus, but we have a better covenant than the old covenant. We have a better relationship with God uh, because of this new covenant that is given to us, which is fulfillment of a covenant promised to Abraham. So I'm going to look at three ways in which the covenant you have with God in Jesus Christ is superior to the covenant that was before. Uh, the first is, and this is the point we looked at two weeks ago when we looked at Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek, of being a better priest, is we have a better mediator. We, ha- we have a better go-between because he's, he's not just one who um, um, is another person representing God to us and us to God, but it is God in flesh himself come to us. It, it, the, the, the superiority of this is what is said in, um, that he is not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, with, that we have the guarantor of a better covenant. So a priest has arised who has, uh, comes to us not on the base of this legal requirement, who's come to us sworn by an oath and by a more ancient and therefore better um, ordering of of ministry. So in other words, let me go back to King Charles. I can remember growing up in the 80s, a lot of worries about what kind of king this man might be. And we rightfully, and actually anyone, any country today, or almost any country today that has a monarch has understood, go let them open train stations, but don't lead parliament because... We know that just being born into a family doesn't really qualify one to lead a world power or a government. Lineage in a family doesn't necessarily qualify someone for this work. And there's a sense here of saying, just because the priesthood, someone being born into the family of Aaron, that we have something better than that. We have something superior than someone just being born into that. We have Jesus who, His authority isn't based on the family he's born into. His authority is an indestructible life. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one who has formed this covenant we have between him and us and God. And he comes to us as one whose life was indestructible by sin, that he never fell to sin as all of the Old Testament priests did. He never fell to temptation and did what was wrong. He is one who can show us the perfect human life. And because of that, it's an indestructible life because he rose again from the dead. He conquered the grave. He doesn't just point us to the way, he leads us through the way. He leads us through death and brings us to eternal life. And so, even now, our relationship with God is through Jesus Christ our mediator who has already sacrificed himself for us, made a perfect sacrifice that we remember and that we receive the benefits of, but it continues to serve as a priest as he is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Do you get discouraged? Do you, do you, do you feel like you're, you just continue to stumble, you continue to fail, You maybe two steps forward, one steps back, or one step forward, two steps back, and you just... Jesus, who knows you, is pleading before the Father, forgive him, bless her, give them what they need. He's continuing as your priest to make intercession for you through whatever you're facing today, tomorrow. We have a better mediator. But beyond that, the intent of the covenant that we have is superior to the intent of the covenant with Moses. Giving the law, giving the, the temple, giving the sacrificial system, giving the priesthood was all pointing us and showing us the way to Christ. He is the fulfillment. I, I, well, there, there might be some in here who almost have the idea and I kind of grew up with this kind of teaching that there was almost this sense of uh, what God really wanted was a temple and priest. And what God really wanted was this nation. And you know, they just couldn't do it. They just kept failing, they just kept sinning. And so Jesus had to go to plan B and send Jesus uh, because they couldn't do, keep the law. And so he just had to do something else. But that is not at all what scripture says. It's not at all what this says. Look. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise? Um, He he says later, uh, verse 18, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of the weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced to which we draw near to God. In other words, it never was intended to bring us to perfection. It was never intended to be the fullness of God's blessing on people. The idea of, of the Ten Commandments and following them uh, being the way that we were going to relate to God was never God's purpose and intent. That's why i saying if that could have done the work of bringing to perfection, we wouldn't have needed Jesus, And so, we see that the purpose, as Paul tells us, is to show us our need for Jesus, to show us our need for a Savior. And so, we we see that the intent of all of that was ultimately to point to the fullness of Jesus. So, the promise of the Holy Land was to show the way of perfect rest in Jesus Christ. The sacrifices in the temple system were to show us the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The temple representing God's presence was to show us Jesus as God present with us. All of it was pointing to perfection and the fullness we have in Christ Jesus. The intent was never uh, to bring perfection, but the intent of the covenant of Jesus is to bring you to the Father and give you a sustained life with him. The final aspect, not terribly obvious, is the scope of the new covenant. The covenant we have with Jesus is a different scope. The covenant with with Moses was intended, and the covenant with blessing of—that was intended to show to a nation God's blessings and protection and law. And so, it is restricted to those of the circumcision, to one ethnic group, to one people— and yet we see in Melchizedek, we see this priest who meets with Abraham, one who himself was not Jewish, one who himself was not um, circumcised, one who himself represented all the nations of the world, for he um, was the priest of the God Most High, the maker of heaven and earth. He was the priest over over all, and he was blessing Abraham, who was to be a blessing to all nations. And so the scope is not just for one people, but the scope of the covenant in Christ is not that it's going to be a blessing to one nation. It's the blessing that is going to be sent out, as he told us, to go to every nation teaching them and baptizing them and knowing his presence with us. The whole purpose of uh, the the scope of the covenant we have in Christ is global, is to be for all people. That's why there is no Christian nation, but there are to be Christians among every nation. There are to be those who trust in him in the church throughout every part of the world. So let me um, step back through these for a point of application. It can be very easy for us um, to narrow our understanding of the scope of salvation. Um, Silas and Zoe, um, Bible translators we're supporting, uh, sent a um, message a couple of days ago saying, you might have heard of uh, the earthquake along the China-Tajikistan border. We wanted to let you know we're okay. And I thought to myself, I bet that has not made a single uh, piece of news and, you know, anything we would see, I, I don't think we would have anything reported on it. Because let's face it, what a celebrity does gets a lot more news than things that happen around the world. Somebody saying something that makes somebody mad gets a lot more news than things that happen around the world. And so, I was right. I went in to see what was on the news. And you know what the news of the day was? It was really cold in North Dakota. Breaking news, North Dakota's cold, but I'm afraid that we might almost get that same attitude with ourselves that the people um, have, have previously had, that we're special, God loves us, we have a privileged place, and that we, like most other Americans, don't even think about the world around us, and yet we're called. To recognize that we stand with brothers and sisters everywhere. The scope is not that he's, he's blessed us, but he's blessed all nations. And so this message needs to go everywhere. And our thoughts and our heart needs to go with every. So, so on, on one thing is to remember the, the global scope of Christ's reach and our continued support of, of those who are going places and our continued awareness of brothers and sisters in other places. But also our, our continued continued awareness of our neighbors who aren't believers and recognizing the gospel is for all people. And we can't have this attitude of we're in the church, we're the good people, those outside the church, that we love and serve and share the good news of Jesus Christ with all. Do we remember the scope of our salvation and the new covenant? It's not to make a privileged group, but it's to make a group of those serving all people and loving and serving neighbor. Second is remembering the intent. It's very easy for us to take the intent um, of faith to be about self-improvement and doing good things and being nice people. In other words, even the the new covenant we have in Christ, it's so easy for us to make it a law, to make it about what I can do and what I do to serve God and the great things I'm going to do for God. It can be very easy for any Christian to, to turn the the gospel into the work that I do for Jesus rather than the work Jesus has done for me. The same thing that if things could have been perfected through the old covenant could apply to us. If you could stand before Jesus because you could perfectly keep his commandments, if you could stand before God because you had done everything right and not done anything wrong, there would have been no need for Jesus There would be no need for the cross. Our only standing is because of His grace. And so as we remember the covenant, one is we need the boldness of remembering we we are here by His grace and not because of the good things that we've done. We pursue righteousness. We repent. We seek to be obedient. But every time we pray and every time we worship, we do so not with an attitude of, here I am, look what good I've done. But I, I come with empty hands only to receive his grace. We do not come before him because law will never bring us to perfection. And that reminds us of the mediator we have. Isn't it a blessing to remember whatever you're going through, whatever sin that you feel guilty about, whatever difficulty is coming up in your life that you're anxious about, Jesus is praying more about it than you are. Your priest is on your behalf going before the Father. And you can with boldness, knowing that whatever is in your life, one who loves you enough that he was willing to sacrifice himself, is your mediator. He is the guarantor of this superior covenant that you have by trusting in him. If you've never trusted in him, I invite you to enter into this covenant. It's a covenant that is based on what he's done, not on what we do. And you enter in by trusting in Jesus and what He's done on your behalf. You can do that this moment where you are. And if you are trusting, if you've been trusting for a while, don't be tempted to turn back and say, okay, I believed, but now I have to work harder. I believed, but it's my job to, to finish things through. Trust in Him and trust in His covenant of grace. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.